All right, we're talking about creation. God has created the world and everything in it. God created Adam and Eve and put them in the garden, put them in a perfect place, sustained them, gave them everything they could ever want or need, a buffet of food. They're in the garden, and God gives them one requirement. He said, you could eat from any tree in the garden, anyone you want. And they had special access to a very unique tree, the tree of life. And they could eat from that tree and any other tree they wanted. And God gave them one command, one forbidden tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He said, you can eat from any tree you want, any tree in the garden at all, except that one. You can't eat from that one. And the day that you eat from that tree, you'll die. God designed the world and everything in it, right? God designed light and darkness on day one. On day two, he created the sky and the atmosphere. On day three, he created the land and the seas and plant life. On, on day four, he created the sun and the moon and the stars. On day five, he created all sea life and birds. And on day six, he created the land creatures and Adam and Eve. And on day seven, he rested. And God looked at the world that he created. He looked at his design. And everything inside of this world, this universe that he created, and what did he say? Very good. Not just good. Very good. You see, God designed us for a unique purpose to walk with Him, to have a relationship with Him. Adam and Eve were different than every other living thing that God created on the first six days because we were created in His image. If you look at Genesis 1, 26 or 30, chapter 2, verse 7, chapter 2, verses 18 and 25, you see the unique way that God created Adam and Eve. Everything was very good. Everything was perfect. And God rests on the seventh day. That brings us up to Genesis chapter 3. We only got two chapters in the Bible that were perfect. Right? And then what happens in Genesis chapter 3? Something that influences the whole rest of the book. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, enter Satan. It says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The serpent mentioned here is Satan. Now, Walter Elwell provides an insightful, biblically-based description of the serpent. He says he is a created angel who 
after, or who before the creation of Adam and Eve rebelled against God and became the chief antagonist of God and man. Satan then led a great number of angels to rebel against God. You can read about that in Revelation 12.4. And some of these fallen angels exist today in our presence on this earth, and they serve Satan. Find that in Matthew 12.24. While others were bound and are bound in hell. 2 Peter 2.4 and Jude 6. The Bible describes Satan as the adversary. He's antagonistic to God's plan and his purpose. He's called the deceiver because he convinces us that wrong is right and that right is wrong. Taking God's truth and manipulating it just a little bit to cause us to deviate away from the will of God. He's also called the liar because he plants thoughts and attitudes contrary to the word and the will of God. He's called the tempter because he tempts us to sin and the hinderer because he deters us from accomplishing God's will. If this event as Satan approaches Eve were taking place in a movie, the camera would pan over to the serpent and that chilling music would begin to play. And if you were watching this, you would know that something horrific was about to happen. At this point, Adam and Eve knew nothing of sin. Nothing of separation from God. Nothing of death. They knew nothing of their own nakedness. Their lives were perfect. They perfectly fulfilled the reason for which God created them. Unlike Adam and Eve, who were innocent and perfect, the serpent is crafty and intended to tempt them to sin against God in the same manner that he had done. Satan engaged Eve with the simple question that he used in hopes of planting a seed of doubt in her heart. He asked, Did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Well, let's look, think back and look at the text. What did God actually say to Adam and Eve? Genesis 2, 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. Remember, we talked about this last week or the week before. God opened up the buffet and the lush garden and showed them everything that was at their disposal. Anything here, enjoy. Verse 17, But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. What we see in Genesis 2, 16 and 17 is a God who loves Adam and Eve. A God who gives them this gracious opportunity to enjoy a garden that He created for them and for those who would come after them. God's command was filled with grace and love, and freedom. The text expresses God's love and care for Adam and Eve. In the midst of God's blessing, His prohibition for Adam and Eve not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil pales in comparison to what He gave them to eat, doesn't it? 
So Satan approaches Eve. Satan twists God's words and his intent through his question of Eve. He changed his words. He changed the intent of God's words. Here's my interpretation of what Satan said to Eve. Can you believe that God would actually tell you not to eat the luscious fruit from the trees of your garden? Eve now, in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 2, engages in a dialogue with Satan that will culminate in the downfall of mankind. Here we go. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The first problem in her response to Satan is this. Why did she engage in a conversation with the serpent? Why even engage in the temptation? Why did she engage in a conversation with him that began with a question intended to cause her to doubt God? What does the Bible say that we're supposed to do when we encounter a temptation? I mean, there's lots of different phrases and passages, but essentially they all mean the same thing. Run! Run! The first problem here is that she engages the enemy in a conversation. Satan is brilliant. He's brilliant. And he masquerades as an angel of light, which means an angel of truth and beauty. Mankind probably cannot beat Satan in an intellectual battle. No matter how much you think you know, no matter how holy you think you are, run from temptation. Run. Instead, Eve should have found Adam, or if Adam was near, they should have asked the Lord for help. Was God during this time a distant God that they didn't talk to, that they didn't know, or was he a God who was with them? It says here that God had a habit of walking through the garden. Also notice that Eve misquotes God's command. God said, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Eve quotes God saying, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. Notice that Eve does not refer to the tree by its name, but instead by its location. She calls it the tree in the middle of the garden. Eve does not refer to God as Lord God. Remember, we talked about that. Yahweh Elohim. Instead, she just calls him God, which is less personal, which is the same thing that Satan calls him. 
Now that he had Eve engaged in a conversation, he could boldly plant a seed of doubt and tempt her to sin. Satan is true to his character, and he just lies to Eve about what God said about the consequences for eating the fruit from the tree <coughs> excuse me, of knowledge of good and evil. God said, for in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Satan says, you surely will not die. He literally says the opposite of what God said. It's a complete and total opposite. Oh, no, no, you're not going to die. For God knows that the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What did Satan just do in that, in that statement? What did he do? Called God a liar. God said this. It's not true. God lied to you. God's holding out on you. God doesn't want you to be like him. Think about this. Adam and Eve lived in perpetual perfection. They had free access to eternal life in a land over which they had dominion and received its fruits easily. Most importantly, they had unbroken, unfettered access to the God of this universe, to the Creator God. Their lives were perfect in every way, every single way. Satan recognized the one element of life that they did not experience. It was the same thing that he tried to capture in his rebellion against God. It was the desire to be God. His pride was his downfall. He plants a seed of doubt in Eve's mind and in her heart and tempts her to, to eat the fruit so that she can be like God. Now, what does Satan already know? That no one can be like God. There is only one God. And none of us, nor Satan, nor Adam and Eve, would ever have been him or like him. So I want to draw your attention to two important elements in this conversation. The first one is that Satan twisted God's words. He deceived Eve. He lied to her about the effects of eating the fruit and convinced her that she should doubt God and that she could be equal to God. Eve engaged Satan in a conversation that led to the temptation for her to sin. She did not remember to follow God's word and did not ask God for help. Look at verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. The fruit from the tree appeared to be beautiful and beneficial to Eve. She believed it was good to eat. It looked nice. Then enter in the covetedness of her heart. She coveted that fruit. She wanted it. She wanted to be like God. She desired the wisdom that the serpent led her to believe that she would receive once she ate it. So she and Adam ate the fruit. Verse 7, 
Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, what had Adam and Eve done for the very first time when they ate that fruit? That's right, Miss Geraldine, they sinned. Now, sin or deviation from God's design brings with it a consequence. Now, in the garden, what did we see just in that, that last bit of text that I read? When they sinned against God, they were afraid of God, they hid from God, their eyes were opened, and the knowledge and the wisdom that they received was not good, was it? It was knowledge of their sin. It was knowing that their relationship with God was broken. Satan did not utter a total lie. As he often does, he took partial truths, he piecemealed them together to get his hearer to succumb to the temptation of sin. In this case, Adam and Eve did receive wisdom and knowledge of good and evil. That was the, the tree, right? The, it was the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And when they ate from that tree, what did they receive? Knowledge of good and evil. Unfortunately, the consequence of that was knowing that they're now, in fact, evil, sinful, and separated from God. The name of the tree should have given away what they were going to learn if they ate from it. This is evident from the fact that they knew that they, knew that they were naked, and when they heard the sound of God walking in the garden, they hid themselves from His presence. Why would Adam and Eve hide from God? Because they're afraid of Him. Why would they be afraid of Him? Because He's holy and good and righteous. And now, they're not. Matthews writes, their efforts to hide their shame are as puny as their efforts to hide from God since their man-made coverings are ineffective. The ironic truth of Adam and Eve's sin is that their effort to be more like God actually permanently, eternally separated them from God. The beautiful, unbroken relationship they had with their Creator and with one another would never be the same during their lifetime. Unfortunately, what took place in a moment through the simple eating of the forbidden fruit would have devastating consequences. So now what we're going to see, beginning in verse, verse 9, in the life of Adam and Eve are the consequences of their brokenness. Let's take a look at it. Then the Lord God called the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard, uh, first of all, I think this is funny, right? Do you think God needs to know where Adam is? <laughs> this is laughable. <laughs> Do you ever, 
I got I got to give you this example because it's really funny. Y'all who had kids or grandkids, you ever have one of your kids do something they're not supposed to do and then like stand in the middle of the room and just cover their eyes and then think that because they can't see anything that you can't see them? Mr. Earl, that probably happens at, at Sunbeam once in a while, right? The kids that color their face like this and they're just standing there like this and, and it's like they think because they're, it's black that you can't see them and then you just see them standing there with their head covered. It's hilarious. This is what Adam's doing. He's hiding from God. So God is sort of lowering himself to have this conversation with Adam instead of maybe walking over and just like, I don't know, thinking about all the vegetation he's hiding under, just moving. So Adam's just staring, standing there. He doesn't do that. He calls out to Adam. Where are you? And I think his, conver- his question to Adam is more than just a physical question. Right? They have, an unbroke, uh, they have a broken spiritual bond now. God, he's not walking in a, in a relationship with God anymore. It's been broken, fractured by sin. So Adam answers, verse 10, he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. So for some reason, when Adam ate the knowledge of good and evil, he was ashamed of his nakedness. The Bible doesn't tell us why he was ashamed about that. But then a- a- after that, it's a, it's, a, it's a common social standard for people to cover up their bodies. But it doesn't say why. Verse 11, And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Like, how would you even know what that means? Because they didn't have clothes on before. So, who told you you were naked? God knows, of course, what happened. Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? All right, so it's like now it's time for Adam, as the husband of Eve, as the leader of God's creation, stand before God and justify and discuss what he did. Adam has an opportunity here to repent of his sin. He knows what sin is. He he knows what he did is wrong. And he could repent here. But Adam's no different than you and I, right? We, We got hard hearts, right? We need God's grace to soften our hearts to even allow us to repent. So, the man said, The woman you gave me, she gave me the tree and I ate. Oh man, what a cop-out, right? Man, he folded like a cheap suit. Like a cheap suit. I can't think of a cheap suit store right now, but if you can think of one, just put it right there. Those kind of suits that are so cheap that you just like blow on it and there's wrinkles. That's what he did. He, He just fell down and he folded. It's the woman's fault. Do you think Eve was mad when he did that? Like after this whole event is over, how do you think? I bet it was, that was a pretty strained marital relationship. What do you guys think? All right, we'll, get, we'll keep going. So then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? So Eve, she's going to pass the buck. The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. It's not my fault. It's the serpent's fault. 
Now we see sin taking root in the hearts of Adam and Eve. Everyone wants to blame someone else for their sinful activities. God first addresses Adam, the leader of the family, who blames his wife. And then, what does Adam do? Look back at that text. I want to point this out to you. Look at verse 13. Or no, sorry. Um, Verse 12. What does Adam say? The man said, the woman, what's he say next? Whom you gave me. Woo. Just like 10 minutes ago, Adam came from his deep sleep. He's like, whoa, look at this lady. This is amazing. Praise God. Woo, I'm no longer alone. This is awesome. Then Eve makes a mistake. I think Adam is culpable for not leading her in that circumstance with the serpent. I think the Bible doesn't say he was there, but I think he was a part of it. So he doesn't only just cop out and blame Eve. Now, what's he doing? He's blaming God. This is your fault, God. You gave me this woman. She's the one that told me to eat the fruit. He blames God. So next, God addresses Eve, who blames Satan. It's apparent that Adam and Eve, it's apparent to Adam and Eve that they've got no, no legitimate excuse for their sin. They knew what they did was wrong, and they compounded their sin with excuses and accusations instead of repenting and asking for mercy. Oftentimes, I forget that when I read that text, which is always in January, when my Bible reading plan starts over, start back in Genesis, read this text. And I I forget that there is a, a real opportunity, I think, for them to repent and and tell God they're sorry for their sin. Verse 14 continues. So when we deviate from God's design because of our sin, we're stuck in brokenness. And and we all do things to help fix the brokenness, right, in our own lives. But Adam and Eve what they did was they, they, tried to, um, they tried to blame shift. They tried to blame shift. And uh, where'd that get them? Right back here. Right back in their brokenness. So I want to show you the state they were in now, beginning in verse 14. And this is going to describe their brokenness. This is the world they had to live in after they sinned against God and deviated from His design. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children." Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken." For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. 
The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the garden of Eden he stationed a cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So Adam and Eve and Satan receive a number of consequences as a result of their sinful rebellion. Satan would suffer humiliation and ultimate defeat from one of Eve's descendants. Who's that? Jesus. Eve will experience more pain in childbirth, even though she still desires to have a relationship with her husband. Eve will struggle with Adam over the leadership of their family, while God ordained that he would be the head of the household. Adam would have to work hard to grow crops for food, and he and all who follow him would one day die. Adam and Eve and everyone after them were expelled from the Garden of Eden and would never be allowed to return, nor would they be allowed to eat from the tree of life in order to live forever. So they and all their descendants would one day die. However, even in the midst of this judgment, even in the midst of the consequences of their brokenness, look at verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So even in the midst of this sin, God clothes them. God displays his grace and his love. God cares for them. God never stopped loving Adam and Eve. Even in the midst of his judgments, God already had a plan to care for the physical and spiritual needs of Adam, Eve, and all of humanity. The thousands of years that passed from this moment and on recorded God's continued journey with mankind and his chosen people, the Israelites. The Old Testament records this journey and explains the covenant God established with his people. Throughout the Old Testament record of God's journey with his people, we notice, however, that God did not plan for us to continue on in our sin from generation to generation, but graciously determined to intervene once for all mankind so that what was lost in the Garden of Eden would one day be restored. Even in the midst of Adam and Eve's doubt of God's desire for them to have the very best possible future, God determined to act on their and our behalf. God would sacrifice a part of himself, his very own son, Jesus, so that the relationship that was severed in the Garden of Eden could be restored. And so next we see what God did and had planned to do when he designed this world and everything in it. And that's called the gospel. The question is, why do we need Jesus? Why do we need Jesus? 
Well, Paul tells us succinctly in Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, 12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and who is that man? Adam. Death and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin, that's the state all of us are in when we're born before we are saved by Jesus. Verse 17, For if by the transgression of one, that's Adam, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression there resulted in the condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of one, the many will be made righteous. The good news is that God sent His only Son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. That on that cross He received the wrath of God. His blood poured out as an atonement for our sin. Jesus died on that cross. His body was given as a sacrifice. He was buried in the ground. On the third day, He rose again. He conquered death and sin and now gives us an invitation to life. Jesus says if we repent of our sin and believe in Him as our Lord and our Savior, He's going to do a miraculous work in our lives. He's going to help us recover the relationship that was lost in the Garden of Eden. The relationship that's been broken by sin with God. Jesus helps us recover that relationship. And He helps us to pursue the design and the purpose for which we were created. Who in your life needs to hear that? Much was lost in the Garden of Eden. It was a horrible, horrible moment in our history. But God in His great love achieved victory through the single greatest sacrifice that could ever be made, the sacrifice of His very own Son. Who in your life needs to hear that message? Who in your life right now is living here in brokenness where all people live without a relationship with Jesus? Who needs to be saved? I want to invite Brandon to come up and lead us in one final song here. And as we sing this last song, I just want to encourage you to go to the Lord in prayer and just ask Him to bring that person to mind who needs to hear that message, who's living in brokenness and needs to be saved. Who do you know that needs to hear that message of life?